The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Sportbox. Let's get into your headlines this hour. Oil jumps as EU leaders finally strike a deal on a Russian oil embargo, carving out an exemption for crude delivered through pipelines after a prolonged standoff led by Hungary. We need political leadership in those extraordinary difficult times. We do not underestimate all the difficulties. The Hungarian position is very simple because energy is a serious issue. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a kid game, yeah? So it's, it's serious. Well, a busy agenda for President Biden today. He prepares to meet Jerome Powell for the first time since the Fed chair's reconfirmation as the US leader repeats spiraling inflation is his top economic challenge. Chinese factory activity remains in contraction for the third straight month but declines ease as authorities prepare to end COVID restrictions in Shanghai and in Beijing. Credit Suisse rejects suggestions it's looking to raise additional equity capital after a report says the Swiss lender is scrambling to bolster its balance sheet after a series of losses. And news out on DSM. Finding the right blend, the company announcing a major merger of equals with unlisted Swiss firm Firmenek, uh, taking a transformative step forward, becoming a pure play in the health and nutrition sector. We will speak with the heads of DSM and the new partner firm Firmenek. It's a first on CNBC in about 15 minutes' time. So let's start the program by focusing down on the latest on this oil embargo story. The EU now laying the groundwork for a ban on most Russian oil imports after coming to a compromise deal on a sanctions package that has been weeks in the making. Under the deal, seaborne imports of Russian oil will be banned. Now that amounts to two-thirds of the exports from Russia but a temporary exemption will be granted for oil that comes through pipelines to the EU after Hungary won a key concession which guarantees its supply if pipeline deliveries are cut off. So Germany and Poland have said they will bring their pipeline imports to a halt by the end of the year. That ultimately leaves the Czech Republic as the largest importer of Russian crude. Well, speaking in the early hours of this morning, the council president, uh, Charles Michel, told reporters that he's proud of the deal. 
We need political leadership in those extraordinary difficult times. We do not underestimate all the difficulties. We know that we needed a few weeks before we were able to take such a decision, but I think this is a very strong signal that we send today because the recent hours, the recent days, there were speculations about the risk for a lack of unity, of European Union's unity, and I think that more than ever it's important to show that we are able to be strong, that we are able to be firm, that we are able to be tough, uh, in order to defend uh, our values, to defend our interests and against, uh, I would like to reiterate my gratitude for all the colleagues uh, who were able to take together uh, this strong decision and to express a united message uh, towards Ukraine, towards Russia, but also towards uh, the European uh, Union's citizens and the rest of the world. Charles Michel there. Well, let's get to Rosanna. As always with the EU, Rosanna, nothing is simple. There's always a layer of complexity here, and I think we understand why there is that complexity given the holdouts but in the round do you think that this will be perceived as a successful embargo on Russian energy given that there are actually still some areas in which oil will get through? I do think so, Jeff. It's being hailed as something of a success here within the difficult parameters we're in. As you said there, this would be the sixth and toughest round of sanctions by the EU on Russia. Five swift set of sanctions by EU standards to date from the uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia on the 24th of February, showing a, uni a unique type of uh, unison from the EU, some are saying. They're working collaboratively more than ever, but this sixth round was proving to be the toughest. Fourth of May, Ursula von der and calling for a, quote, complete ban on Russian oil imports. Then we have this issue, of course, because Hungary, Czech Republic and Slovakia, they're landlocked countries, they're heavily dependent on Russian oil through the Druzhba pipeline. That's the friendship pipeline. Now, uh, this is an EU special council meeting, two days to discuss exactly this topic, the sanctions and about Ukraine, its future, its reconstruction, food security, energy security and defence. Heading into the meetings yesterday, this oil embargo was the top story and it didn't actually sound hopeful. A lot of the leaders we spoke to, including von der Leyen, were saying not too high hopes of any deal being announced. You heard there from Charles Michel when these meetings they went on late into the night, 1.30 in the morning, saying we're actually very pleased we got there. Now you've mentioned the technicalities of the deal. The man at the centre of this, Viktor Orban, Hungary's leader, he was the one gunning hard for this, posting jubilantly on Facebook afterwards, we've done it, we've carved Hungary out, Hungary will still get its oil imports. Let's take a listen to him. The Hungarian position is very simple, because energy is a serious issue. It's not a, it's not a, it's, it's not a kid game, yeah. But so it's, it's serious. So it means that first we need uh, solutions and then the sanctions. Up to now, the first five sanctions package was approached in a different way. First we made the sanctions and then we started to think about the consequences and looking for solutions. But because it's energy, it's risky, it's serious. So therefore we have to change our approach. First solutions, then sections. And up to now, we haven't got the solutions. And when he was speaking to us there, I asked him afterwards, well, how do you assess that balance between essentially financing a war on European soil and also, of course, dealing with hugely spiky energy uh, costs, especially when you are that dependent on Russian imports? And uh, Mr. Orban just said there is no balance to be found. Now, of course, this is a very emotional uh, topic and it's very important and urgent right now. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, giving a video address to the council at the start of the meetings yesterday, uh, basically uh, chastising European leaders 
Moscovites for not doing enough, for not being tough enough on Moscow, for financing a war to the tune of a billion euros a day by continuing to buy Russian energy. But as you've heard there from the technicalities of the deal, it is complex. Around two-thirds of Russian oil comes in via shipments to Europe. A third comes in via this pipeline. As you mentioned there, Poland and Germany are weaning themselves off the pipeline by the end of the year. So this will take it to a 90% off Russian oil Europe by the end of this year. The goal now is to look towards gas. In the meetings today, they're going to be talking about this repower Europe idea, this idea of weaning off Russian gas by 2030. They'll also be talking about macroeconomic assistance to Ukraine, macrofinancial rather, around 9 billion euros agreed at the meeting last night. They'll go heavy on that and also looking at gaps in the EU's defence policy. There are some major gaps. Mr Borrell was saying yesterday as he heads into the meeting, we need to spend more and we need to spend better because it's not only about helping Ukraine reconstruct at the moment, getting the food out the ports, getting the energy into Europe, making sure everyone can afford to live, also building a new future for the Ukrainian people. But it is, of course, about holding Russia back at the same time. And they're certainly not going to be not thinking about that at the meetings today, Jeff. Rosanna, terrific coverage. Thank you so much for that. And obviously, uh, the messaging, it was a late night session there. Um, I think the director wasn't really ready for me to get up and start walking, was he, at that point? Bit of a surprise to him, bit of a surprise to everybody. Um, But I want to come to the wall because um, we've got these terrific graphics and I just want to remind you that this is what the pipelines uh, look like here. So Gazprom has cut off Gas Terra's gas supply after the Dutch company refused to comply with Russian demands to pay in rubles. Gas Terra says it has secured supplies from other providers up to October. Uh, Denmark's Orsted has also said it will continue to pay in euros and that this risks Gazprom cutting it off too. Uh, Meanwhile, Russia's uh, Vladimir Putin has told the Turkish president he is ready to collaborate with the country to help export grain from Ukrainian ports. This is the food crisis caused by the war, pushes prices higher with Russia and Ukraine responsible for 28% of global wheat exports. President Biden has said he supports the Fed in fighting high inflation. In an opinion piece published by the Wall Street Journal, Biden said the Fed had a, quote, primary responsibility to control rising consumer prices, adding he agrees with the central bank's reassessment that price pressures are a top priority. Biden says he will work to ease the economic pressure on families by investing more in infrastructure and supply chains, as well as reducing the federal deficit. The president is set to meet with Fed Chair Jerome Powell later today. And before we get into our technical analyst this morning, I think useful just to show you what the futures are setting up for, because it was an important uh, holiday yesterday in the United States. But by and large, we had Asia and Europe trading higher on this growing view that maybe the Fed will be done by September. So the prospects are that we get a strong start to the US futures. Uh, And just a reminder, this is where we've come from in terms of the uh, month to date. So the Nasdaq still in negative territory effectively. They'll have to work hard uh, to the upside on the tech stocks if they want to turn around this story. We've had uh, positive performance so far from the Dow and the S&P, but we're only modestly in positive territory. Let's just move the the, the boards on and um, have a look at uh, 
some uh, tech stocks. Well, here's the Nasdaq uh, shown in chart form, um, helpfully provided by the director, just to give you a sense of what the uh, board looks like. Uh, tech stocks, can we have the month to date tech stocks, please? Um, this is where we are ultimately on some of the uh, bigger technology companies that the market has a little more confidence in the cash flow generating abilities of. Ten-year treasury, it's been a rocky old ride, hasn't it? We, uh, we took it all the way up. It was like the grand old Duke of York, if you know that nursery rhyme. We took it all the way up to 3% and then we took it all the way down again. And at the moment, we're just sitting a little off that 3% number. As I say, the market continues to weigh the prospects of higher interest rates. The Brent price getting a bit of support the last two days from the speculation as to whether the deal would be done on a Russian oil embargo. But across the month as a whole, you would have booked around 12% worth of gains. Rolof Anthanaka joins us, senior technical analyst at ING. Uh, Rolof, I haven't mentioned the dollar, but I think important that we look at the currency and the prospects for the dollar index going forward here, given some recent softness. What does the technical setup tell us about the likelihood of the dollar just to soften from here? Yes, good morning, Jeff. Yes, looking at uh, the dollar index, it's doing nothing wrong here. Uh, the longer term monthly chart shows a test of the strong horizontal resistance at uh, 103.90, and it's uh, up a modest 6% to 6.5% this year. Uh, a slightly uh, decline into May, and that's normal, uh, testing uh, such a strong barrier around 103.90, that's a high of 2020 as well. Uh, we consider the downside potential as very modest. Uh, strong support comes in between 101 and uh, 99, and that should be a normal uh, pause within the uptrends before we will see a definite, definitely break above 103.90, which should be considered as very bullish for the US dollar, uh, bearish for uh, Euro, Euro dollar, of course. Uh, but then um, after this break above 103.90, we could easily see a strong move up towards 111.75 and even on a longer term basis because this is a monthly chart into the coming years 122.40 should not be ruled out and this is the top of 2002. And what about the tech stocks? We were just showing the board of the tech stocks performance. The Nasdaq yeah. struggling here to be positive for the month. Again, what do you think of the setup? Yeah, uh, Nasdaq is bearish, uh, suffering of course of this uh, uh, rise in, in the yields uh, worldwide, uh, and if we are have a if we have a look at the longer term weekly chart, then we see the completion of a top formation uh, below thirteen thousand two hundred eighty in the past few weeks, and this is bearish, triggering a sell signal, suggesting a price target of around nine thousand three hundred seventy five. So each short term strength should be considered as a selling opportunity. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, the futures in the green, uh, we could see some relief in the next few days, but upside potential could be very limited, 13,800 to around uh, the, the topping 40-week uh, exponential moving average line, around 14,100. Uh, that should be um, strong resistance in making a lower top, and um, we should at least expect a test of the longer-term underlying trend line, starting from its 2009 lows. Coming in around 9,800, confirmation of this uh, uh, bearish um, uh, situation by a weekly close with the, below the 200-week exponential moving average line around uh, um, uh, 12,378. 
and new lows below 11,500 will confirm this. And at least testing this underlying trend line around 9,800. But please keep in mind this longer term price target, 9,375. So sell the release. We've been talking about the oil story ad nauseum for the last month, obviously, given the upside yeah. we've seen here. Um, We've now got this oil embargo, which I guess um, will have some impact on sentiment. But what do the technicals imply for further upside? Yeah, oil is um, one of the big winners of this year, of course, uh, up uh, for more than 80% since the beginning of this year. But looking at the daily chart, the daily continuous uh, uh, future, uh, we see the development of a, of a large trading range. And of course, it's, it's uh, short term a bullish undertone. Uh, but we see strong horizontal resistance coming in between 124.75 and the spike in March at 130. We do not expect that this uh, resistance area will be broken, could be tested in the next few days, but then we should expect uh, a decline. And if we would see a decline below the 50-day moving average line, rising 50-day moving average line around to 105.50, that will be the signal that we should expect um, a decline towards the lower end of this trading range coming in around $91. So yes, it's bullish on a short term basis, but not expecting a break above the upper end of the trading range, 124.75 to 130. And from there, we should expect the decline in continuing the longer term trading range heading towards 91. We're waiting on uh, the uh, Biden meeting with uh, um, uh, the, this, uh, the U.S. central bank um, chief. Obviously, um, what are what are the ten-year Treasury yields uh, suggest to you? Are we are we going back to three percent, or are we going to sit somewhere below that? Yeah, we could see uh, some consolidation at at higher at a higher yield. Um, for on a short-term basis, and looking uh, from the start of this year, the, the yield, the, the rise in the yield was pretty violent. It almost doubled from its uh, uh, last year's close, 1.50%, and reached a high at 3.20% recently. And that's the strong horizontal resistance. So I do not expect that this resistance level will be uh, broken um, significantly. So we could see a consolidation at uh, at, at a higher yield. But uh, in the second half of this year, I would say we should be aware of a some uh, kind of a relief in uh, in the ten-year yield, confirmed by um, a monthly close below the uh, 200-month exponential moving average line around 262 at the moment. But if this happens, then we could easily uh, dec <coughs> decline, sorry, towards um, the two percent to one and a half percent, and making a higher bottom in the development of a larger bottom formation. So. Some relief in the second half of this year after a consolidation at higher levels around 3%. I would not be surprised. Possibly a retest of this 3.20% uh, on a short term basis. Uh, but definitely an opportunity to buy 10 um, year bonds uh, if, if, we if we would see another test of this 3% level. Roloff, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Roloff Andanak, a senior technical Thanks analyst at uh, ING. Good to see you. Um, coming up on the program, DSM announcing a merger with privately held fragrance and flavour giant uh, Ferminic. Uh, we'll discuss uh, whether this is the right mix of ingredients with the leaders of both companies when we come back.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Squawk Box. Real pleasure to have Juliana uh, join me. Good to see you. Good it's a little bit you. early. You're not, you're not due here for a, at least another 40 minutes. It was too compelling not to join for and this next interview. The reason uh, that uh, Juliana's joined us, because in a previous existence, uh, she was a chemi- chemical specialist. Um, and um, we've got a $40 billion uh, merger here. Um, it combines uh, Feminich with a DSM. Um, let's get into the details of the deal and why it's happening. Uh, joining us now, uh, Geraldine Maché, the co-CEO of DSM, and we're very pleased to have uh, Gilbert Augustine, the CEO of uh, Feminish. Uh, thank you both for taking the time to be with us on the programme this morning. Um, Geraldine, maybe I could just start with you. Um, DSM has been on a journey, we know, and, and you've got rid of the pharma business ultimately and you've been disposing of the, the chemicals and the materials operations. This makes you a much more pure play ingredients, uh, fragrances and flavours business. Why is this the right deal for publicly listed DSM? Yes, good morning. Well, thank you for having us on this very exciting day, both for DSM and for Firminich. So. The reason why this is so exciting is that you take two very highly performing companies with more than 120 years of legacy and and, uh, and heritage in deep science, and you bring them together. So on the one hand, you have DSM. We're clearly the leader in health, nutrition, bioscience. And then there's Firminich, who is the leader when it comes to fragrance, to taste, and I have to say, very deep capabilities when it comes to consumer insights. So put two great companies together, and this is where the magic is going to happen. This is a big day for us. As you said, it's going to be at least 40 billion uh, merger, and think about 28,000 colleagues passionate around the world really able to respond, and this is probably the key, to the very fast evolving market trends that we're seeing in the health part, in the well-being, in beauty, but also, of course, in nutrition as we've been uh, active. So it's really important to have a global footprint, a deep science and innovation capability in order to keep up with these evolving trends that move every single day. And it's for this reason, by the way, um, that I am actually sitting at our headquarters of our food and beverage business, because this 40 billion merger will actually be made up of four very clear businesses, of which um, our food and beverage and the taste and beyond of Firminish will come together. And that's where most of the magic will happen. Okay, well, let's bring you in. Your business has been uh, growing nicely in the private sector without the unpleasant scrutiny sometimes of uh, being publicly listed. Um, Why take this step at this stage? Why does the family want this to happen? Good morning and thank you very much for hosting me and Geraldine on this very exciting day for DSM and Firminich that will become DSM Firminich. Uh, Look, we're extremely excited because we are bringing together 
too iconic company to create, you know, the leading innovation and creation partner for nutrition, beauty, and well-being. We see this as Firmanish as the next step of the evolution of the Firmanish company. The Firmanish company was established back in Geneva in 1895, so 127 years ago, and we have managed to grow strongly over the years, you know, to become an over 4.6 billion uh, Swiss francs net revenue company and over 900 million uh, Swiss francs in terms of EBITDA. And we managed to outperform the market year over year, gain market share, beat the competition and outperform the industry. All of this is driven by our leadership in science. You know, science and innovation and creativity, you know, helped us to have the upper hand uh, in, this, uh, in, in this industry. And we are extremely excited to partner with DSM to take our leadership and the leadership of DSM to the next level of performance. And most importantly, you know, be there to support our customers, strengthen their brands, and delight their consumers. Uh, good morning to you both. Gilbert, um, as you mentioned, Firmanish is a family business. It has a, an enormous legacy. It's also based in Switzerland, in contrast to DSM. Talk us through the pro, form, pro forma ownership structure of this new business and where it's going to be domiciled and how committed the family is to its stake moving forward. Uh, good morning, Juliana. Thank you very much of, uh, for you know hosting us this morning, Geraldine and I. And you understand well our industry, so you have uh, a deep insights into this industry and how relevant it is for our consumers. And you know one of our excitements, Geraldine and I, this morning is that we are creating a powerhouse in innovation and creativity, you know, to help take our industry to the next level. Let me share with you a little bit, you know, on governance. You know, this is a merger of equal. This is a merger of equal in spirit. This is a merger of equal in governance. This is a merger of equal, you know, in board representation and in management representation. Uh, Firmanish and DSM are very strong companies that have performed very well so far. You know, we are bringing together the Swiss culture and the Dutch culture of uh, DSM and Firmanish, bringing them together in a new partnership. Uh, this company will have a governance as a Swiss company, Swiss governance, um, uh, and a primary headquarters in Switzerland, uh, in Kaiserhout, uh, next to Basel, and will have two headquarters, you know, one headquarters, obviously, you know, in Kaiserhout in Switzerland, and another head headquarter in Maastricht uh, in, um, in the Netherlands. And the new company, DSM Firmenich, you know, will be listed on the Euronext exchange in Amsterdam. And if I can just the follow up, Gilbert, yeah, please go on. In terms of the key shareholders, the family members, what their future it looks like and their, their commitment to DSM Firmenich post-merger. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good question, Juliana, and I'm sure lots of people, you know, will have this question on their mind today. The Fermini shareholders have always put the interest of the company and our customers first. Uh, 
And this is why our shareholders are extremely excited about this merger. They have endorsed this merger. And at the same time, they are committed to be long-term investors and shareholders in the SM Firminish. Our chairman, Patrick Firminish, will be the vice chairman of, uh, of the SM Firminish. Thomas Lesson, the current chairman of uh, um, uh, DSM, you know, will be the chairman of uh, DSM Firminish. Uh, and our shareholders are committed for the long term. Thank you. Um, Geraldine, in terms of the combining of these businesses, um, walk us through the earnings accretion you expect. I think you've outlined here that you're, you're looking at double-digit EPS accretion. I'm curious when we can expect that to come through. And also, if you have any update on the remaining bits of your materials business and the progress on potential disposals there. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So let me start with the earnings accretion. So as you've heard, you know, you know DSM very well. Uh, Firminish is, is maybe one of the hidden jewels of our industry. And together, we're bringing very two highly performing companies. Now, on top of that, when we do this, because of the complementarity of capabilities, there will be a synergy value uh, that is coming from an uplift in top line of around 500 million and an adjusted EBITDA of 350 million. So when you put the two strong companies and the synergy value, what you're seeing is that basically this new company, and we're excluding here the materials businesses, will actually be double-digit EPS accretive compared to um, DSM of today minus materials so as to compare uh, a like-for-like. Like. So that's from the a value creation, really uh, the most compelling strategic move that we can make. And uh, so that's that's from uh, the, the value creation point of view. Sorry, Julian, I forgot your second question. Geraldine, you are forgiven. It was a long one. The second part was about your materials business. And if you have any update for us on the progress of disposing the remaining parts. Yeah. So as you remember, in September, we announced that SDSM, we're heading towards really being a fully focused consumer ingredient company, uh, of course, with our strong legacy in health, nutrition and bioscience, and that our materials businesses uh, would be moving on and we will be seeking most likely new ownership. Now, as you know, we have announced the new ownership for our Dyneema business. This is already done. We're making good progress uh, on our remaining business, which is engineering materials and uh, you know, we would expect to be able to share some news very shortly on that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.